This is part one of a two-part finale. I think it's a loony kind of thing to want to do. I think the, the saner and rational approach to life is to survive steadfastly and create a protective home and, 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 and create a warm, loving environment for one's family and, and get food for them. That's about it. That's actually all. Anything else is extra. All culture is extra. Culture is, uh, you know, that's, uh, I guess it's a freebie. It's something that we, we don't, we only need to eat. We don't need uh, particular color plates or particular height chairs or anything. I mean, anything will do, but we insist on making 1,000 different kinds of chairs and 15 different kinds of plates. It's, it's unnecessary and it's a sign of the irrational part of man, I think. We should just be content with picking nuts. Not mine, <laughs> am I <laughs> Down, I found I fell down a rabbit hole of a Jello Biafra interview videos a few nights ago. That's a that's a fun rabbit hole to fall down. He's uh he's always had many things to say. Oh, the Jello Biafra ch- uh, chapter in uh, that Al Jorgensen book is. And I sent you that little clip of it where they basically had to lock him out of the studio because he was so annoying and he refused to write lyrics. He was just playing. He was just he was like a little like chaos demon. He was just a little like. He was just, anyways, he was just, he just was joking the whole time. They're like, get out of here. Get out of here, Jello. And he had to like beg to get back on the project. This is part one of a two-part finale. This is Pod Like a Hole presents a space pod of tea. Welcome for the last time as we are heading back towards Earth. We've floated in this tin can uh, long enough talking about the man himself, David Bowie. We went through all... 28 and plus any peripheral change that we happen to be scooping up in our journey. And we've done it. Holy smokes, we've done it. We've talked about all of the songs. We've talked about all of the albums. We've talked about the movies that he has been in. We've talked about the albums that he's produced. And uh, it's time. It's time to head back to Earth. Uh, This is your host, Mark. Uh, Thank you for you're listening all the way through and if even if you are a listener all the way back from season one i thank you thank you very much for this um what started as a project sprung out of my head and the late night text message and we've seen this now up to almost 90 episodes um and i am the only person who hasn't been on all of them the only person who has been on all of them i'm going to introduce him right now is one of my co-hosts one that puts it uh, a little bit of research into the madness that I really uh, put out there. Uh, Eric, Eric, you have the luxury of being on pretty much every single episode. Um, yes. Yes. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. It was, it's part of my intern contract with you guys that I, um, that I have to do that. So, uh, cause you guys need breaks. So I, that's, that's fine. I'm, I'm happy to do it. I know I was not on the guns and roses episode. That's true. Um, but, 
That's true. That may be not. That may have not been an official one. That was. That was definitely a. It was Stephen Hijack. It wasn't canon, as you're as you're saying. <laughs> Stephen, right. not non canonical. But I have to say, um, I I always appreciate when Stephen takes the wheel, because he is my Jesus, if you will, and Stephen, my personal savior. Would you say hello to the people out there? Yes, from upon high, on this cloud, looking down upon all of you, I am happy we finally made it here to the end of this journey. And who knows where we, we will go next? I mean, it's, it's true. I mean, uh, thankfully, we will let you listeners know what's in store for season three. Um, I mean, but really, really hold on now. Yes, exactly. But Season not yet, three. not yet, not yet. Yeah, but but then, but not no, not yet, not yet. But but still, you see Mark talking about his relationship with me, and of course, we both tolerate Eric through all this. You know, he is some kind of rock, but at the same time, you look at that rock and you're like, is that really the rock we want? But all right, <laughs> but you know, uh, but uh, to season three, the foundations for season three, they were written. Uh, before the internet existed. That, that's what I have to say. We'll talk about that later. We will. And um, I'm just going to tease that the season three direction um, sprung from a fever dream from you, Stephen. So I'm looking forward to it. I know that the uh, the listeners out there, I think they're going to be in for a really fun ride. Um, and as well, to be honest, like the, the, the fever dream, I explained this, my, I, I was telling my wife a few nights ago and by a few nights, I mean hours, I said, Oh yeah, we're doing the, the podcast tonight. I know we got a, a three week, a three week year old, but, uh, let me go sit in the corner of the, uh, the house and turn the AC off so there's no background noise and sweat my ass off and talk to these guys for a couple of hours tonight. And she's like, oh, uh, you know, oh, okay, yeah. And I was like, oh, by the way, this is our final David Bowie episode. And she's like, oh, that's fun. What's next? And I was like, ah, I'm not going to tell you right now, the uh, internet. But when I, when I did tell it to her, I, I thought about, uh, you know, season three, it did, st- it did stem from late night text messages because we asked ourselves how much how many hours do you have on this planet? How much energy do you have? We'll get back to that. I'll, I'll explain my math at the end. Stephen waking up from a fever dream and frantically grabbing his dream journal and, and throwing it and digging through the drawer a little bit more and finally finding his phone and typing out a quick 3 a.m. text and, and sending it and uh, sighing exactly. and going back to bed. I mean, honestly, yeah. I, I, I woke up one night and I Googled, you know, how many side projects did all of the members of NXS have? <laughs> we'll get more into that later. <laughs> uh, yeah, Ooh. I mean, it, it blew my hair back once uh, we we settled on. Uh, it's been right in front of us the whole time. But potus 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 blonde. That's right. <laughs> Um, but tonight, folks, we're going to summarize what we have uh, accomplished in this season by 
kind of summarizing our journey through David Bowie. Um, as you know, we love to give our rankings. Um, throughout this whole process, we have been keeping track individually of our rankings, and we're going to share that now with each other. Uh, and then talk about a few things that surprised us along the way. Maybe some of the albums that we uh, were really surprised and uh, moved up a couple ranks. And then maybe some of the albums that kind of disappointed us and moved down. And um, then, of course, it wouldn't be uh, something that we all sweated over and had to do a, like a beautiful mind uh, goodwill hunting type equation on a board to really figure out and nail it down to our 10 favorite songs by David Bowie from a catalog incredibly vast that is uh, it literally uh, we probably had to you know trudge up a mountain and and uh, get the advice from gurus um, from ancient lands in order to help break us down what truly is our 10 favorite songs because it was quite a chore for for me and I'm sure it was for, for you guys as well yeah well, here's, what I, here's what I propose we do Let's do our album rankings, and then we will do our essay questions, and then we will do our songs. What do Sounds you think? Sounds great. Let's do I it. Love it. I love it. I love it. Okay, let's start. Eric. Okay, so everyone, thank you for joining us and going on this ride. And you know, what a great time it's been. And you listened to us talk about all the Nine Inch Nails albums, and we're all good, good friends by now. We've reached the David Bowie. We've reached the summit. The summit. What did David Bowie think about David Bowie? Um, well, all right. I find that I'm a, a person who um, can um, take on the guises of, of different people that I meet. I can switch accents in, in seconds of meeting somebody and I can adopt their accent. I've always found that I collect. I'm a collector. Um, and I've always just seemed to collect personalities um, ideas. I have a hodgepodge philosophy, which really is very minimal. Um, very Do you believe in God, for instance? What? Do you believe in God? Um, I believe in an energy form, but I'm not, I, wouldn't, uh, put, I wouldn't like to put a name to it. Do you indulge in any form of worship? Um, uh, life. I love life very much indeed. now we're going to talk about our favorite albums in order but there's too many of them i mean how many are there the, you said 28 earlier mark i thought there was only 27 um you know so uh, i included I labyrinth you. uh i did include labyrinth in that mix i don't know if you guys did yeah. as well yeah and i and i was i was confused because there was 27 uh episodes but that's because we combined the two tim machines that's those correct were separate albums. that's correct never heard never heard of tim machine before um <laughs> All right, so to uh, forgive us, listeners, we we all did do, you know, we kept notes and we collaborated, but we didn't want to share our our numbers with each other. So there might be a little bit of like, you know, this guy forgot the toy existed, this guy forgot the Tim Machine existed, or he erased it from his memory. 
But uh, anyhow, let's do this. So the toy is not all... the toy. You didn't do the toy, did you, Steve? Because that that is not on there. That is not an official album. Well, we never talked about it, and that exactly. was going to be in my uh, that was going to be one of my essay questions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so let's just do this, though. We can't talk about all twenty-seven albums. I'll take forever. So starting with you, Eric, give us mm-hmm. your twenty-seven through ten, and then I will go, and then Mark will go, and then we'll do our top ten round robin style. Does that make sense? Sure yeah. does. Yeah. Okay, yeah. we're gonna start okay. with you. So give us give us your twenty-seven up to number uh, eleven. And so these low ones, no commentary about them. Um, yep. You know, I'll listen for that, rea- yeah, that's reactions. Like, that's no commentary, just right. list them off. No, we don't got to. We, right. we can't waste time. I mean, does anybody really want to have us discuss the David Bowie self-titled again? No. <laughs> okay. All righty. So here we go. Twenty-eight. Tin Machine One. Twenty-seven. Tin Machine Two. Twenty-six. David Bowie. Nineteen sixty-seven. Twenty-five. Never Let Me Down. Twenty-four. Hours. Twenty-three. Pinups. Twenty-two. Space Oddity. Twenty-one. Tonight. 20, Black Tie, White Noise. 19, Diamond Dogs. 18, Aladdin Sane. 17, Hunky Dory. 16, Reality. 15, Let's Dance. 14, Young Americans. 13, The Next Day. 12, The Man Who Sold the World. And 11, Earthling. All right. Okay. Uh, do you, would you like to go next, Stephen? Yeah, I'll go next. And uh, that's interesting. I already not a lot of crossover because number one for me was David Bowie's self-titled album. That was number uh, 28. 28 or 27, whatever you um, want to say. No, my, my number one guy I'm saying there's no crossover. Oh, oh yeah. The, la- the laughing, the laughing gnome changed music as we know it. Uh, okay. Here's, here's my listing. And, uh, uh, I have toy as uh, the last one because we never talked about it. Uh, Tim machine two, Tim machine one, uh, David Bowie, Hours, Never Let Me Down, Space Oddity. And if you can't tell, I'm going from top to closer to the top 10. Yep. Uh, Space Oddity, the Buddha of Suburbia soundtrack, which. Oh, uh, shit. Oh, shit. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Yeah. Didn't, didn't include that, that should one. Be under, we did talk about it. We did. We yeah. Yeah. It's not in our top 10, so it's not going to kill anybody. Uh, around number 22, Reality. Earthling, Pinups, Tonight, Black Tie, White Noise, The Next Day, Let's Dance, Ethan, Outside, Sitting Around, number 13, Ziggy Stardust, and number 12, or I guess 11, Low. Okay. Oh, we got some stuff. Yeah, this is going to be interesting to talk about. Here we go. All right. Um, so pretty much, yeah, I think we're practically three for three on our bottom three so i got uh tin machine one as number 28 hold on hold on hold on mark yeah hold on you've never even you've never you don't even know those albums exist i had to <laughs> i mean yeah exactly they <laughs> they did get scrubbed men in black style uh from my mind and that's why they're down at the bottom so tin machine number 28 tin machine two number 27 Number 26 was The Darum, David Bowie, 1967. Number 25, Labyrinth. Number 24, Never Let Me Down. Number 23, Tonight. Number 22, Hours. 21, Black Tie, White Noise. 20, Reality. 
19, Pinups. Number 18, Earthling. Number 17, David Bowie, Space Oddity. Number 16, Let's Dance. Number 15, Aladdin Sane. Number 14, Outside. Number 13, Diamond Dogs. Number 12, Black Star. And number 11, The Next Day. Nice. Oh, guys, and I, I, I hate to, to just, just be an asshole here, but um, my handwriting's terrible. Um, so I think I sh- showed my hand a little early. Labyrinth was, was actually up there at like 22, so that would push everything down. So anyway, sorry about that. No problem. I like, I like, I carroted it there. So, cause my numbers will be finally, off. So. Finally, that's, that's the, hold on. I'm checking my, yep. Nope. That's all I needed. Eric, that's it. That's finally what you had to do to get ejected from the podcast for season three. Final straw. So, Go ahead and uh, kick yep. him out of the room. No. <laughs> well, what a- here's my, here's my torch guys. It's been great. It's been great. <laughs> Face- Facebook friends, uh, Michael river dog Rankin. He's going to replace you. I've noticed that he likes a lot of the same things we do, so might as well give him a shot. Uh, <laughs> no, but actually, so uh, Mark, where did you have reality at? I had reality at number 20. And uh, Eric, how about you? I had at 16. Yeah, it was down there for me too. Interesting. We'll talk more about my opinion of that album later. But all of us decided not that uh, spe- spectacular. Right. Right. All right. So the top 10. Robin style, baby. So let's remind everybody how we did this for uh, Nine Inch Nails. We we went my number ten, and we all listed it. And then if one of us said, "Oh, I have that on my list already," further upstream, we'll get to that later. We skipped it. I have a feeling we're gonna do a little bit more of that now because I mean, come on, we're all gonna have like fucking heroes in our list or something. Sure. You know? So, mm-hmm. all right, it'll be difficult. All right, Eric, we'll try it. We're gonna. We're gonna we're gonna have to be a little bit more. Uh, we're gonna have to pay attention here. We're gonna have to be on the on the game. Uh, well, this, this is I, this is very much this is very much gonna be like a game of a. Uh, Eric, what is it when they had the? Well, met exactly. But, Concentration. Uh, Brian e, Brian Brian Eno's uh, whole thing with the cards there. Okay, the chaos oblique, card. Oblique strategy. Oblique strategy. Oblique strategy. Yes. <laughs> okay, so your number. Your number ten, Eric. What is it? Yes, and I already showed my hand with my career-ending flub earlier by by uh, by not reading my little tiny carroted labyrinth. So ten is Earthling for me. Okay. Uh, it does, is that off? It's not that... on any of my top ten. No. No, nope, I've got more taste than that. So go ahead, Eric. Talk about it. <laughs> uh. There are maybe four or five songs on that that are great, and and then some that are less great. But the ones that are great weigh that album very heavily for me, and um, captures a, a sound. And it is 
Bowie is trying as a vocalist. He is into it. You can tell, and it does have some of my favorite Bowie vocal performances. Even if it's layered on top of chopped and screwed Reeves guitar and uh, chainsaw guitar and, uh, you know, actually some pretty decent, like, live drum and bass. Um, it's, uh, I think it's, I think it's pretty cool and it lines up with my sensibilities <laughs> pretty well. I had a lot of fun with it for this podcast too, because I never really dug that deep other than knowing I like the sound. So Earthling, uh, Earthlings, I like it. I'm into it. It's my 10. For me, that was my number 18. Um, it, it definitely is a middle of the pack album for me. Um, looking back, I think I gave Earthling a 2.75. So kind of right there in the middle. Um, but uh, yeah, it's not a bad choice, and I, it, it, it certainly, if any one of us was going to have that in their top ten, it was it was going to be you, Eric. We all know this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, Mr. Breakbeat. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I, you know, yeah, I had Earthling down there around number 20, 21. Not bad, not amazing. Uh, you know, it did give us. Uh, I'm afraid of Americans. This um, is part one of a two-part finale. I'm glad that you this liked it. This is part there. one of a two-part mm-hmm. finale. So, my number 10, and we might need to come back to it, uh, is a Hunky Dory. Do you guys have that in your top 10? I do. Um, it's a little higher than number 10, though. So we can come okay. back to that one if you want. It was uh, number uh, 16 for me. So, Got it. Or we'll 17. Talk about 17. It. Yeah. We'll talk about it more in depth. Mark, what's your number 10? My number 10... Uh, it sounds like it's going to be in your guys' top 10, so we'll have to see where it's at. Um, my number 10 is The Man Who Sold the World. I have that listed higher. Okay. Uh, Eric, do you have that on your list? I just squeaked. It was number 11. It all just squeaked out just barely. So Okay. okay. No, well, I, I'll come back to it. So Excellent. All right. So number number nine, Eric, what's your number nine? Uh, my number nine is Ziggy. Uh, that's that's mine. Is that, I know it's not in Steve's top 10. It is Martin in my Ziggy. top ten. Yeah, it's a little higher Ziggy, than Ziggy number nine. Ba- yep, on my list, Ziggy barely made it. You've got a higher mark. I do. I do. Okay, we'll come back to it. Excellent. I knew that was going to happen. Yep. Um, okay. My number nine is Aladdin Sane. Did either of you have that in your top ten? I had it at number fifteen, so no. Yeah, it was number eighteen for me, so no. Okay. Yeah. No, Aladdin Sane. Hello. Insane is one that kind of uh, that's one that made its way into the top 10 because of the podcast um, I was I've always liked the album um, I always you know it was always kind of the sequel to Ziggy Stardust sonically and maybe kind of storyline wise but when we listened to it for the podcast I was the one that was higher on it than you two and I, I don't know what it was about that record but I just really it blew me back I just thought that the uh the storytelling was really fun. I thought the production was really great. And even though besides, you know, uh, I mean, hold on here. I, you know, besides Rebel Rebel, um, as far as big radio hits go or anything else on that, on that track, 
on that album. Uh, the songs that might jump out to somebody is Gene Genie, you know, and Rebel Rebel's not even on it. I meant Gene Genie that entire time. Gene <laughs> Genie is the most popular song on there. But I think between Watch That Man, the title track, Panic in Detroit, Cracked Actor, um, The Prettiest Star, which is another track I kind of like more than you guys. I really love Time. Uh, Lady Grinning Soul. The Ooh, yeah. That's a great that's song. The lady, the, that, 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 a, that, that closing track. One. Holy shit, that was a yeah, surprise. Yeah, exactly. Aladdin mm-hmm. Sane was uh, definitely one of the uh, most improved for me. So it made Aladdin Sane, because of the podcast, it made the top ten for me. I, I, I dug it. Yeah. Interesting. And, yeah, uh, I, I mean, I, I think it's a great record. Unfortunately, I think it's more well known for its album cover, which is iconic as I'll get out. But I think it's a great album, so it's my number nine. Yeah, I think um, I think it's I, my my. As you're talking about it, I almost feel like it, it should be inched up a little bit more. But that'll just happen on this. You got to pull the trigger sometime. Um, but I, I see my memory of it was it, the songwriting at times felt um, unfocused and less dynamic. Um, with the exception of some of those big heavy hitters. And I got to say like Panic in Detroit, what they do in percussion and, the, and bass, like the rhythm section of that song is, is one for the history books. And then I think we can all say like Mike Garson showed up and threw his dick on the table with, with that piano solo in the title title song. And it's, it's uh, freaking unforgettable. It's great. Yeah. No, I think, I think Mike got Mike Garson throughout the life of the podcast gained a lot of respect from us. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, on Aladdin saying he's doing what we always would joke about, which is cats on the keyboard. But we saw that he had way more in his, uh, his, his, his quiver, if you will. Um, his quiver. That makes sense. Oh yeah. Sure. Like arrows in his quiver. Yeah. You betcha. Yeah. He's got, he's got more than just that. So we'll, yeah. we'll probably talk about him more as we go through this thing. I mean, just looking back at our nine inch nails season, uh, he's on one of my favorite nine inch nails songs, which is just like you imagined. I mean, he makes yeah. that song. It's, it's very, very good. Um, so yeah, that's a good choice. I mean, I, Aladdin Sane was one of those, uh, I have it right next to outside. Um, and both of those are just, uh, the Mike Garson spectacular. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it has some gems on Aladdin Sane. It's just, it, when we talked about that episode there, it just didn't keep its hooks in me. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's clearly a great album, uh, you know, um, but it's just, for me, it wasn't in my top 10. So good choice. So what's uh, your number nine? My number nine is uh, I haven't gone yet, Eric. You've gone. You've said your oh, number right. nine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. Young Americans. That's number nine. We'll come back to that. All right. All that right. Some, yep. I was well, surprised. Yeah. Oh, well, wait. Oh, wait. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good one. All right, Eric. Uh, number so eight. Number, we're on to the number. Okay. Number eight. Right. Uh, my number eight. Um, is uh a was a kind of a surprise for me but station to station we're gonna have to come back to that oh, one too. Definitely. <laughs> yeah we're gonna come back to that <laughs> oh wow uh this is we fun. can go on to my my number eight is not on either of your guys as i know because you you name checked it in your your below tens uh-huh uh, my number eight was diamond diamond dogs oh okay yeah lights in your snowstorm in your brain Do you think that your face looks the same Then let it be It's all I ever wanted It's a street with a deal and a taste It's got pause, it's got me 
a fan of Diamond Dogs. I think I went over that in the podcast quite a bit. It was, you know, for whatever reason on this record, like, you know, some of us, when you talk about 27 albums, uh, obviously before we started this podcast, we all latched on to various records uh, to a certain extent, more so than the others. For whatever reason, Diamond Dogs always, always had its hooks in me. And um, I know that the storytelling's kind of all over. The direction's kind of here and there. It's very transitional. But between uh, the, the title track of Diamond Dogs, the one, two, three, four, uh, Sweet Thing Candidate, Sweet Thing Reprise, just wonderful fucking thing they got going on there. Uh, the 1984, I've always liked 1984. And uh, Big Brother, uh, after researching the podcast, Big Brother seemed to speak to me. Uh, I, I like Diamond Dogs a lot. I just, I like the rawness of it. I like the ambition of it. I, the world that tries to portray, even if it can't code, totally pull it off, I dig. I love the fact that it's uh, the only album David Bowie did all the guitar work on. I think that's pretty cool. And um, also, uh, you know, I love the Metal Gear Solid games and Diamond Dogs is heavily referenced in those, that game series. All that just makes me uh, put Diamond Dogs in my top 10. There you are. Um, it's a little lower for me. I think I had it at 19. Um, it, uh, but it does have that title track and that, that medley are, are fantastic. And the little things he was doing with the 1984 songs, um, adding a little bit of synth and those weird backward masked vocals and all that, it was definitely showing where he was planning on going in the next, the next era. Um, but uh, it does also have one of my least favorite Bowie songs of all time. That's fucking rock and roll with me or rock and roll with you or whatever that guy. I hate that song. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, but I don't mind that, that song. song. I like that song too. Oh God. I think we that discussed that like, on that episode. Uh, that Diamond, song is so cheesemo. I mean, uh, I, I, and you can't deny the power of uh, uh, sweet thing candidate and then goes right back into sweet thing. Holy smokes. That's just some sequencing. That's a masterclass. Um, that's, uh, so good. Some great, some great, some great Bowie saxophone work too. Really is. Um, that's, that's a hell of a song. Hell of a song. I treat them all as one song. Um, all right, Eric. Uh, so I, my number eight, uh, since we're now to me, um, is hunky dory. Um, I think it, Eric, that didn't crack your top 10, but, uh, Steve, it was, your number, it was your number 10. Um, it was my number 10. Yeah. So what do you got to say about it? So hunky dory, um, I think there's a whole hell of a lot of nostalgia factor. Uh, and this is coming from you, Steve, actually. Um, for me, this is kind of when Bowie really started to click for me. That sound is a very transitional sound as he's between Man Who Sold the World and uh, Ziggy Stardust. And everything seems to be coming together in, in such a way that you've got some absolute classic songs um, such as, you know, Changes, Oh You Pretty Things, Life on Mars. Uh, a song that really um, took me by surprise was Quicksand. Um, and uh, Queen Bitch is just a rockin' song. 
and it almost sounds like early punk. And um, the closing track, the Bule Brothers, um, is just a haunting atmospheric song that um, stays with you. Um, it's the album has just it's it's it takes you on a, a ride. Um, it's just a really really strong album. This is part one of a two-part finale. Yeah, well, I, I factor in when it came out, and it definitely, you know, that album had to be made to get to where he wanted to be later. But I, I just feel like he leveled up so quickly there. Um, I mean, Changes is an all-time classic rock song. It's a great song. Also, if you want to subscribe to the David Bowie is a chameleon thing, that's like the fucking, the, you know, that's the, that's the passport right there. Um, oh, You Pretty Things. I, I love that track. I love it even more when it's played live as a medley with, uh, you know, all you, all the young dudes mm-hmm. with itself here. I think it works. I love the atmosphere. That's that song makes you feel like you're in that song. That's uh, whenever a song makes you feel like you're participating. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Life on Mars. All timer track. Uh, even though I spent half my life thinking it was Elton John, that song is unbelievably good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everybody, uh, all our wives, uh, all our wives, friends, most of our coworkers, any of them, uh, most of our teachers from high school, uh, anybody that hears Life on Mars loves Life on Mars. To to hear that song is to love it. It's just perfect. And it was also serendipitous. It got repurposed for the Watchmen show that uh, was a great show. And also the Nine Inch Nails friends uh, repurposed it. That was a lot of fun. Quicksand. That was one I've always liked, but then because of the podcast, became an all-timer for me the same with the closing track um i i would say the problem with this album is about half of its average yeah but then the other half of it is a plus yeah so it pulls it you know it's just the the half that's amazing the half that's good is amazing and that's what you're here for yeah Yeah, i'm a big fan of that record i think the nostalgia factor for me um uh, I remember sitting in the Rockland Manor apartment with you and when you put on changes and it goes into, Oh, you pretty things. Like I was just like, who, what is this? I mean, cause I honestly wasn't exposed to it that much when I was uh, kind of learning about classic rock. It, these are songs that you didn't really pick up on. And, you know, at the time, David Bowie was still seen like he's more of a cult figure. He didn't really see that resurgence that you got um, later and as we got older. Um, And this is my also introduction to working at the record store and really getting an education at this point. And you were the one that really opened my eyes. I think it was Ziggy and then Hunky Dory um, are the two that you showed to me back to back. And... um, yeah, uh, it it's a strong record, even despite the averageness of what, like, fill your heart, uh, eight line poem, um, some kooks, kooks exactly. Those those songs kid. Uh, but I, I have to say yes, the Rockland Manor, the Rockland Manor Apartments, uh, over twenty years ago, now about twenty years ago actually, and yeah, Mark and I probably listened to this album together, and then later I would have went to the twenty four hour uh, wait room. 
and listened to the first Slipknot album. Yep. And then later, I would have done a bunch of acid and jumped in the pool. That was uh, a <laughs> that was our lives. <laughs> and then, was, uh, not to mention, you'd make a stop over at uh, our uh, friend of the show Regan's house, who also was in that oh, same yeah. complex. And you know, uh, it's funny. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting about those apartments is, yes, Regan lived there, who became a lifelong friend. I haven't seen Regan uh, in years, but he does listen to the podcast. I'd be buddies with him either way. He uh, similar sensibilities and uh, ended up, I met him when we lived in those apartments. He actually grew up in the Truckee area, which is another Foothills area. And uh, he's a good guy. And also, it turned out I learned years later that Joe Vieira, friend of the show, and Trent Casparis and many other folks we would become buddies with years later, they all also shared one apartment at the uh, Rockland Manor. We had like like seven guys that were uh, two years younger than us living in an apartment there. So that's like a train wow. spotting uh, situation in itself. <laughs> I, was about yeah, to, really. I was about to make that joke, but uh, yeah. yeah, that's that's great. <laughs> yeah, Rockland, Rockland Manor was a, a, a nexus. Anyhow. It really was. It was a rite of passage. That was uh, Hunky Dory. And I was just going to take- say on, uh, on Hunky Dory... Um, I, I've been very patient, Stephen. Um, Hunky Dory would be one of those on the list if I, uh, you know, em- empirically, it should be in the top ten because it's it's a plus songs like you said are so good and I do really like it. It's it's but it um it just for what I like about Bowie, it's not the best representation of that, which is why I didn't make my top ten. Um, but yeah, it's fantastic. Story. Let's yeah. keep things moving because we got a top 10 list of songs to talk about and a whole bunch of other stuff. So that's so we got through all our number eights, right? Yep. Number seven, sure. Eric, what's your number seven? Number seven is Lodger. Right. A little bit later. Yep, we'll get to it later. Um, my number seven is The Man Who Sold the World. because it was my number 10. Okay. The Man Sold the World, I like, uh, I've always liked it. And then for the podcast, it gained even more strength. Um, I've always enjoyed it for the title track. We've gone in depth about how we love the Nirvana version and the original version. Both of them are beautiful. For the album itself, though, what really stuck out to me is it's a rocker. I really think it feels like there's a whole band there. And then David Bowie kind of threw the lyrics in as an afterthought. But that doesn't mean the vocals are an afterthought. Um, It's just a good rock album. And it sounds like Black Sabbath was doing their thing down the road. It's David Bowie's version of early Black Sabbath to me. And I really dig it. And on top of that, uh, you know, the the title track is great. But then Save Your Machine is a all-timer for me. Um... I really dig it. I just think it's a good rock album. I, I, I think you could say the same thing about Ziggy Stardust, but this is a good rock album with all without all of the theater. It's just a good rock album. I really, really, really dig it. And the title track alone elevates it. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, I mean, this is kind of the, um, the formation of the Spiders. Um, this is, I think, 
first time Mick Ronson shows up. I could be mistaken. He may have done a track or two on Space Oddity, but I highly doubt it. I think it was Tony Visconti coming in saying, hey, you should do this guy. Um, and it's almost the beginning of him really taking that step into the direction that you're, what you know David Bowie for. Um, Man Who Sold the World title track is amazing. It's a very influential song. Uh, the Width of a Circle is a journey, uh, and they play the shit out of it live, as you find on the Rise and, uh, the Ziggy Stardust um, motion picture soundtrack. Um, All the Mad Men. Um, I mean, it's it's got some just sleeper tracks. Save Your Machine, like you were talking about. It's just fantastic, and I'm going to remind everyone that it talks of a President Joe. So, vote November. Please and thank you. Um, and... Oh, oh, oh uh, shame on me. All the Mad Men. I might bring up that song later. So, yes. Yeah. Okay. A little, little uh, illusion, if you will. Uh, we're taking a look at Chekhov's gun right now, if you will. Um, will he fire it later? Um, and then uh, She Shook Me Cold. It just, it's, it's a good rock album, like you said, Stephen. And it's just the beginning of where Bowie is going to take you on the next, I don't know, five, six albums. That was why it was my number 10, um, because it's such a strong record in his catalog. It deserved to be in the top 10. Yeah, it kind of gets him out of the early... It's got a touch of that psych folk stuff, but he he takes a step away from it and becomes, uh, you know, the David Boy rock guy who you see on Hunky Dory, Ziggy Stardust, Aladdin Sane, Diamond Dogs. Those next four albums, they start there. It's funny though; it is the it is the spiders from Mars, but it's a little darker than anything they would do on on Ziggy or Aladdin Sane. It's kind of like left to their own devices. They kind of like to jam out as like this kind of sludgy metal band, even though it's not really heavy metal. But it it is it's close enough for me. It was close. It was like a twelve. It was my number twelve. I, I love this album too. All right. All right. So number number seven, number six is number seven. Yeah. Then that was my that was my wait. Hold on. That was your number seven, but that was my number ten. So I need to share my number number seven. Yes. Your number seven is Heathen, um, which was kind of a surprise for me. Uh, That was one we can talk about later in our most improved, perhaps. But yeah, hold that thought on on Heathen. It's 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 a little further up. Fantastic, this, this good to hear that I wasn't alone. All right, all right, Eric, number six. Actually, actually, it's my number six. So we could just talk about it now. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> uh, it was my it was my it was my number fifteen. Okay, go, go ahead, Eric. Do you want to make your case first? Everyone says hi. Yeah, sure. Um, just interesting. Taking some time away after after hours, reuniting with Tony Visconti, and kind of getting back in touch with some of the lo-fi indie rock that was um, working its way through the '90s, but definitely becoming a little more prevalent in the early aughts. And um, that album, I mean, he's made just some you know, some rock albums, you know, before without in his later career, but some of them lack the kind of grit that this one has to it. And it has just kind of like a real soul. This album, I, 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 uh, 
I'm a big fan of it. Um, like, I mean, slip away, uh, Sunday or the, what is it? Five fifteen the angels arrive or whatever that like, there are some, some that I can just, uh, just get lost in all day. So yeah. uh, big fan of heathen. And I remember you guys showed this to me at the record store. I was, I guess on the outs with Bowie when it actually dropped, I had heard it was good. And then you guys played it for me. And, um, I kind of, it kind of never got out of my head. It's a good one. So this one came out in 2002 and, um, I think, you know, this is the education around this time when Steven was really, uh, given me a steady diet of David Bowie. And when this album came out, like I was approaching it like a, like a converted fan. Like I was excited. Um, I wasn't quite there with ours, uh, but when he then dropped with in 2002, it was just tracks one through seven. Uh, just do it for me. I think it's just, it fires off really good songs that just stay with me. Uh, the song slip away. Um, can make me feel emotional. The song afraid. Um, the first single catchy is that slow burn song. Not to mention this is the album that he toured with when I first got to have the luxury of seeing David Bowie live. So nostalgia has just me kind of appreciating this album more than it probably deserves. Uh, because it's not a perfect record by any means. There's some covers on here. Like I took a trip on a Gemini spaceship is kind of goofy. Um, uh, a better future is a little bit kind of mundane for me, but uh, God, there's so everybody many... says hi. Yeah. I mean, that one's not that terrible for me because that's it... a great, that's a great song because it reminds me of like a cure song from like their latter day works, like something you would find on wild right. mood swings. Um, and I do have a soft spot in my heart for that really imperfect record by them. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I wanted to include one of his later works, the one that resonated with me and perhaps that's why this is my version of outside. If that makes any sense, uh, there's so much surrounding heathen, um, both from a live perspective and where I was at on my Bowie fandom that it deserved for me, for my personal top 10. Oh yeah. Yeah. If we, uh, if I, uh, before the podcast, heathen would be my top 10, but it was kicked oh. down by other albums, um, that I dissected more, but when it first came out, I loved it. I like the majority of the songs. Everyone says hi is a great track. Uh, that last track is good. Heathen in all, I, I do dig. Um, it's not my favorite of his post 2000 works, but it's a great record. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure uh, I didn't hear black star being on any of your bottom uh, 10 so I, I, I know that I'm sure that there's some folks out there that are like, are you fucking kidding me? Heathen above Blackstar. But I, I just have my own personal feelings for it. And Blackstar did rate high. I mean, it was my number 12. Um, and I'm sure that yeah, we'll put, talk. You put, yeah. you put Black you put Blackstar about where I put Heathen. It's, it's fine. Yeah. Now, listen, no one's going to quit listening now. <laughs> um, so where are we at on this? You're, this at, you're, number, you're at number six. So we're at number six now. Eric, did you do your number six? Yeah, his number six I was did. even. Okay. So my number six is Young Americans. Okay. Yeah. That was my number nine. Eric, does it show up anywhere higher than six for you? Yeah, it was it was my it was my fourteen. Okay, gotcha. Okay. okay. 
Go ahead, take it away, Steve. So we all, in general, we all like Young Americans. The title track is one I've known all my life, majority of my life. The album itself, when I first got it, it was not what I expected completely, but I embraced it from the start. And I, as I mentioned on the episode, find it to be just repeatedly re-listenable. I can listen to Young Americans on repeat like nobody's business. And I can't say that about many of the albums on here. But Young Americans, I just... It's just earworm after earworm. Uh, it sounds very organic. I majority of the songs in there I like. I I, I don't feel the urge to skip. Uh, I dig it. I, I think that his experiment with the uh, soul music was a rousing success. Yeah, it really was. I mean, I, I'm kind of right along with you. What I first. Um, you know, heard it, I, I kind of listened to it with a little bit of irony, thinking that this can't be for real, right? This is Bowie just kind of like doing a fuck around album. Um, because I, I know we talked about it on the episode, I was a, one of my favorite Beck albums is Midnight Vultures, and it's very different from what you would kind of get from, you know, Odelay and some of his kind of acoustic introverted albums, I'd say. Um, but just listening to Young Americans, I it's just it's fun. It's a fun album to listen to. Um, you get Young Americans just sounds like a peppy song, even though lyrically there's some cynicism going on in there. Um, the song Fascination can absolutely you know have a cookout. It's it's such a great song. Ah, um, so good. Uh, Right is another one of those. You get that Boogie Nights fever in, in there. Um, got some call and response. Can you hear me? Um, and fame. I mean, even though fame is an overplayed song, and it, it seems as we were doing our research, it's a very simple approach of how they even made the song. But it just sticks into your ribs. Um, Young Americans is just Bowie trying to do something differently. And instead of falling on his face, I just, you have to give him credit for it. It was a big swing. And I, I just felt like that artistic risk he was taking on it. Um, I, you, I just have to appreciate it. Uh, this is the answer to one of my essay questions. So I'll just, I'll save my thoughts on this bad boy. All right. So we can go off. I'd like to ask you something. I mean, so, you know, all right. Um, it, it occurred to me, having watched MTV over the last few months, um, that it's, 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 got, it's a solid enterprise with it and it's got a lot going for it. I'm just floored by the fact that there's so, many so few black artists featured on it. Why is that? I think that we're trying to move in that direction. We want to play artists that seem to be doing music that fits into what we want to play for MTV. There's th the company is thinking in terms of narrow casting. 
That's evident. Um, it's evident in the fact that the only few black artists that one does see are on about 2.30 in the morning or, in, or to around 6. Very few are featured predominant, no. predominantly during the day. No, that, uh, that's a... I'll say that over the last couple of weeks, these yeah. things have been changing, but it, it's, no, uh, it's a I, slow process. I know, it's, it's funny, I think people have different perceptions. When you wind up watching, let's say you watch an hour or two or even three a day, People somehow come away with different ideas about what we are doing. We don't have any kind of day parting for anything, mm. let alone a black artist day parted out of what, what would be, quote, prime time. Mm. We don't have that. Because one sees a lot on the, on the there's a, one black station on uh, television that I keep picking up. I'm not sure which station it's on. But there's a, there seem to be a lot of black artists making very good videos that I'm surprised aren't used on MTV. Well, of course, also we have to try and do what we think not only New York and Los Angeles will appreciate, but also uh, Poughkeepsie or Midwest, pick some town in the Midwest that will be scared to death by Prince, which we're playing, or a string of other black faces That's and black music. That's very interesting. Isn't that interesting? You know, we have, to, uh, we have to play the music that we think an entire country is going to like, and certainly we're a rock and roll station now. The question would be asked, well, should, uh, since we're in New York, should PLJ play, uh, you know, uh, the Isley Brothers? Well, you and I might say, yeah, because we have grown up in an era when the Isley Brothers mean something to me, and so do the Spinners, even way after the Isley Brothers. But what does it mean to a 17-year-old? Well, if you talk on the phones to these guys like I did when I was in radio, it's Well, I'll tell you what it means. I'll tell you what maybe the Isley Brothers or Marvin Gaye means to a black 17-year-old. Ah. And surely he's part of America as well. No question. No question. And that's why you're seeing those things. Do you not find that it's a frightening predicament to be in? Yeah, but less so here than in radio. And is it not, well, no, don't say, well, it's not me, it's them. Is it, no, is well, it, not, is it not possible that it's, it's, it should be a conviction of the station and of other radio stations, mm. to be fair? It, it, is, it does seem to be um, uh, rampant through American media. Um, is it, it, should it not be a challenge to try and make the media far more integrated in, those, in music, happening. especially of anything in musical terms? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I think it's happening because white music and white musicians are now starting to play more than ever, what, uh, more than they have lately, let's say, in the last 10 years, yeah. what, what black artists have been into. Mm -hmm. And now, hopefully, the lines are going to start to blur. And when we play a band like ABC, yeah. well, there's, there's white and black kids who are enjoying it. And all of a sudden, well, it's, it's a little bit easier for a white kid to understand it. The fact is, quite frankly, I could even point you towards a letter in the new issue of The Record, yeah. the magazine The Record, responding to an article by Dave Marsh that this, this kid just ranted about what he didn't want to see on MTV. Well, that's and his problem. And in no uncertain terms, well, what I'm saying, though, is that there's, as you say, there's certainly a, a lot of black kids and white kids who may want to see black music. Mm. There is a ton of them who are, it's not like it was in 67 where you say, yeah, I'm, I'm not into that, you know, but you are, yeah. Now it's, you're into that? I don't like you. And that's scary, and we, can, we can't just turn around and go, well, look, this is the right way. We can only teach, I think, a little bit at a time. Interesting. Okay, thank you very much. Does that make sense? Valid point? I understand your point of view. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay.
There you go. So uh, moving right along, who's got the next number? Number six for me. And I'm sure it's higher than you guys, or I'm sure it's higher on your list, but it's Heroes. Yeah, we'll, co- we'll, come, back. Back. we'll come back to Heroes. That was uh, bound to happen. Okay. So does that move us to number five for Eric? It sure does. That's right. Five for me was Blackstar. Okay. That, that is my number five, so go ahead. Oh, nice. 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 Uh, you love yeah. to see it, folks. Something's very wrong. The pulse returns for prodigal sons. With blackouts, hearts, with flowered news. With skull designs upon my shoes. I can't give everything. Yeah, Blackstar, I mean, even though it's been a while, there may be just the emotional connection to it being a perfect goodbye, just an, a master plan, a, uh, a perfect send off to his to his fans and himself, a, a way to say a way to say goodbye. Um, it also helps that it's just interesting for his goodbye. He didn't go with a nostalgic sound. He scrapped pretty much most of his collaborators and just worked with this edgy alternative jazz band. And um, in doing so, they made, you know, fantastic, sometimes abrasive, sometimes swoopingly emotional, but uh, just very good Bowie songs that complemented his voice very well, and he sang good until the end. And, uh, um, you know, I could definitely think of four or five songs on there that are even among his most edgy work, but and also among his most reflective. Um, so... Uh, at Black Star, like I said, there's an emotional component which will always make it higher than maybe empirically it deserves. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm crazy about this one, Steve. Yeah, with with the uh, with Black Star. Hold on one second. Mark, where was Black Star on your list? It was number twelve. Uh, Black Star for me. Uh, it's a challenging record, but it is never boring. Um, I, I, I can't listen to it all the way through in one sitting um, without. Uh, it, it's a lot to take as an artist to really saying their final things. Um, and, and when I say a lot to take, I'm not saying that in a bad way. It's just, I have to be in a mood for it. I can pick out a few songs if I'm feeling melancholic, um, that I, I can listen to, but as a whole, I, it's a difficult record for me to sit down and listen to all the way through. Um, just because it's, I remember on that episode, you said you had some really, you know, strong uh, Bowie fans that it took them a while to even approach the record. They weren't ready for it yeah. after he had passed. Yeah. And I think it's just one of those things, even though it's a, a final farewell, sometimes you don't want to see him walk out the door quite yet. And that album just really brings up a lot of those memories of how I felt the day that he died. If that makes any sense. Yeah. So yeah. even though it's a strong way to go out, I can't put it in my top 10 for just, it's, it, it's too, it's too much for me. I don't know if that makes any sense. Right. Right. And I, and I would argue that strong emotional reaction to it actually elevates it, but yeah, uh, for better or for worse, but um, yeah, Steve, no, I, 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 you know, I, I see where Mark's coming from, but uh, between the title track and the song Lazarus, and also 
the fact that it is such a departure from what he was doing for the last uh, 15 years uh, prior to that point, and that the rest of the songs are pretty good. Um, I just, I just, I dig it. Uh, I love the fact that it came out right before he died. It's just such a David Bowie thing to do. You know, here's my new album, by the way, I'm dead. You know, <laughs> what is that? It's insane. And, um, the, the videos for it were great. And even though that's not, you know, I'm not like a, uh, you're not going to find a lot of Mazdisky Martin and Wood in my CD collection, but the fact that that style of music, he nailed it. I feel for that album. Um, I don't find it jarring to go to that record from one of his other ones, even though it's a big departure. Uh, I think it's very cool. His last album was such a departure for him sonically. That's what I would hope he would do. But at the end of the day, it really rests on the title track and the song Lazarus. I think both of those are magnificent. And uh, yeah, I really, really was a, a big fan of it. Nice. Mark, what's your five? My number five is his travelogue album, Lodger. Let's 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 put a pin in Lodger for at least one more step. All ah, right, nice, Eric. Number four. Yeah, number four for me was Heroes. Okay. Let's put let's put a pin in, in Heroes for at least one more step. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> let's go ahead and talk about Lodger so, then, Steve. Lodger, uh, <laughs> Mark, I'll go back to you. You can talk about it. when I first heard Roger for the very, very, very first time, I remember it, listening to it on a uh, CD Walkman, um, waiting for my tires uh, to get changed. Uh, and it struck me as like, this is a very strange record. It immediately, um, I guess, de- defied my expectations because I was expecting something along the lines of Heroes or maybe even a little something along the lines of Low. Um, but I just am marveled by how fascinating and some of the production work that was being thrown on here. Um, kind of that panic sound that you would get on um, the Cricket Menace, is what it was called, on African Night Flight. Um, fantastic Voyage. Uh, it has this really good ramp up. The Turkish uh, sound of uh, Yasasayan. Exactly. Um, and then Red Sails and um, the Hinterlands, of course, comes up here. Uh, the song DJ uh, is just a song with so much fucking swagger. Um, and then what knocked me on my ass is the power of Look Back in Anger. Um, and then you got to love the project canceled of Red Money. Uh, it's just... Yeah. It's, it's a strong record that really takes you by surprise. And for me, it's surprising that it is considered one of his more overlooked albums when it comes to the whole Berlin trilogy. But for me, it, uh, it's got, it's just a mixed bag of tricks that really just seems to work yeah, for I, me. I'm with you. It's, um, it's the one that 
took the longest to grow on me. And I mean, granted, I did rank it the lowest of the um, it was my number seven. I ranked the lowest of the Berlin trilogy, but it was still in my top ten. And I think what I realized is like Heroes and Low have a this is that Eno Bowie sound, you know, to it that I love so much. And um, Lodger isn't quite that. And then what I realized is it's not quite that because they kind of mastered their approach and then were actually able to turn out pretty much like experimental pop rock track after track using all of those techniques, but they just had it down to a science at that point. Um, and I, see, uh, I, I, love I, totally, I totally agree with you, Eric, because I think that's why I like it a lot is that, uh, David Bowie reminded himself, he's like, Oh yeah, I like to write, you know, popular rock songs. How can I take these tricks we've been doing and apply them to this and not just be doing, you know, Cape wearing, Eno Eno trance music. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I like I like that he kind of reclaims himself for that last part of the Berlin trilogy. Yeah, yeah, and and the uh, the kind of quirky uh, rock that was incorporating world music. Um, uh, Talking Heads beat him to the punch, but he does it so well on this um, on a few tracks on here also, which I appreciate. Yeah, this is the closest he gets to the Talking Heads, I think, and that's a fun thing. Um, I used to think this is like when I used to think I mentioned this when we discussed it on the episode when I used to think about how I felt about this album I just thought of the song one of these days or I'm sorry what is that song that one of these days comes from um, um, it's the African, African, African night, night flights it's yeah, the cricket I just thought of the chorus yeah. from that which is yeah. one of these yeah, days one of these days but yeah <laughs> that's just one element of it the rest of it I mean it's got some extremely catchy moments some danceable moments some other abrasive moments and all of it goes together so well. And, um, you know, Look Back in Anger, just an all-timer track. I think uh, Fantastic Voyage is just a beautiful song. Um, I think the marriage between Eno and Bowie, I like, you know, they're almost, uh, Bowie takes, uh, they're not, they're not, uh, they're not on the same level there. Bowie's a little bit more elevated, which I think is good because it's a David Bowie album. And also, I love Adrian Ballou, what he brings to it. He brought the weirdness of Robert Fripp, but he's his own guitar player, and you you can hear that, and you see that with some of his work with uh, the Talking Heads and when he joins King Crimson, and some of his solo work, which I'm trying to get into more. Uh, Adrian Ballou is an interesting cat. Um, and also, he's great on some of the that, that, uh, that I Solar Blackout uh, live album, too, with David Bowie. Um, I think it's great. And I've always loved I Am A DJ or the DJ, that track. I've just, uh, if I've been making mixtapes. Any mixtape I made since this album came out had the song DJ on it. You can't, you cannot mess with that track. Uh, Lodger, I think Lodger is the definitive sleeper hit of the David Bowie catalog. Yeah. I think so every, mixed, every mixtape you've made in your life has the song DJ on it because Damn near. this album came yes. out. In the 70s, yes. okay. You know what's funny? Anytime that I come home with fast food uh, for the you know for the family because I'm lazy and we don't cook, I always do the fast food. <laughs> you know <laughs> that little lyric delivery <laughs> <laughs> when I come home. I don't know. It's just it's wired into my brain. Yeah, Lodger's Lodger's a good one. I think if you consider yourself a David Bowie fan and it's not one of your favorite David Bowie albums, I'm not trying to tell you how to live your life, but give it another shot. I think it. It, yeah. it, it, wake up dumbass wake yeah. up yeah it, it'll uh it'll grow on you i think we're on number four 
Yes. Or no, that was uh, Steve's yeah. number four. So my number four yeah. is uh, Ziggy Stardust. Rise and fall. All right. Are we, are we going to talk about that? Yeah, mine was uh, number 13. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that was my number nine. Okay. She kneels before the grave of brave son Who gave his life to save a slogan That hovers between the headstone and her eyes For they penetrate her grieving You love a boy and girl that's talking So uh, it's probably one of the most influential and most well-known of the David Bowie catalog. Um, it has an unbelievable uh, set of songs that just hold the whole damn thing together. Um, and I will again tip my cap to Steve for essentially showing this to me. Uh, you and uh, ex-girlfriend, um, I remember we were driving down to San Francisco for some concert, some show. I don't even remember what show we were off 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 to. Uh, let's just say it, let's just say it was corn. It was probably corn. Sure, why not? And um, it probably was actually. <laughs> Um, but anyways, I remember just the opening drum beats of Five Years coming on, uh, a little soul love kind of bringing it down, and then all of a sudden you go into the space face uh, and uh, you know of Moon Age Daydream, uh, which is just unbelievable, and you know the whole album just flows really well. You got some ones here that kind of, I guess, don't hold the weight of the others, but. Uh, Ziggy Stardust, the title track, and then Rock and Roll Suicide. What a way to end an album. Um, it, it, it had to be in my top ten, again, because of the iconic status and how I personally feel about it and just its place in rock history. Uh, but that's my two cents. Yeah, it was my top ten, too. And um, you'll see that my top ten is, is definitely... Um, focused more around Berlin to modern, um, which is, you know, the kind of synthy alternative style of Bowie is, is definitely more where I gravitate to. Um, but there, what I love about Ziggy is it's got a story. You know me, I love, I love me a, 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 a theme album, a concept album. It's got, a, it's got the closest thing to a, a full story that Bowie's ever done on an album. Um, yet, Almost every single song stands alone as a banger. Um, yeah. From the opening track, which I'll talk about more at length later, to like Suffragette City and uh, uh, and yeah, Rock and Roll Suicide and everything in between. It's it's uh, it's a lot of fun. And um, going to that bougie show with you, Steve, uh, that that where they played this all the way through. I mean, it just reminded me how fun. This this album must have been to play. Um, they just got really got into it. It was it was it was a blast. Um, so yeah, this is 
this is good and and it's not necessarily my wheel my my favorite wheelhouse uh yet uh, it's undeniable that every single one of these songs has gotten under my skin and into my blood over the years and i love it yeah it's Nikki stardust it, it barely cracked my it, it was sitting on the outside looking into my top 10 it's one of the greatest rock albums of all time david bowie just put out a bunch of other albums that uh, beat it for me but great rock album great rock songs amazing storytelling great vocalization great production uh great characterization of the whole ziggy stardust persona you don't ask for much more i mean if anybody told me that's their favorite david bowie album i would say yeah it's a good choice it's ziggy stardust man it's good absolutely so eric number three number three for me is uh it's like heathen for you mark heavily nostalgia based for, for, for three, the music is outside. I knew that was going to be in your, your top five. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got a problem. That's fine. I love this album. Fine. Um, obviously, this was my, as I talked about at length before, this is what this is what got me into into Bowie past what's just on the surface level of pop culture. Um, and then upon really listening to it, now knowing the major players and realizing, wow, these Mike Garson licks have been a part of like my musical makeup since I heard this in 1995. I didn't even know who he was. Um, the uh, the Eno um, layers over everything. Um, the Reeves Gabriels actually probably doing the best he's ever done subdued, just adding what he needs to add in the background. Um, yeah, just mostly being a session player on this one. And then, you know, it's got a, it's got a little story to it. It's got a bonkers ass cyberpunk story. And, uh, I clearly had a blast digging into that. And, um, listen, you take the title track, you take hello space boy, you take hearts, filthy lesson. Um, you take strangers when we meet and you've got yourself, you know, some, Creme de la creme Bowie songs uh, splattered throughout this art jazz rock masterpiece. I love it. I had it ranked at number 14 and I will say, um, always from the outside. Uh, well, that's funny. Um, I always thought it was just a really long album and it took me forever to just listen to it before the podcast, after going through the podcast, um, it, it absolutely raised the ranks. Um, I think it would have been in the 20 range, uh, before. Um, and then I've moved it far. Up. It's in the top 15 for me. Um, because you're right. Awesome. You're right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it definitely, uh, surprised me more than being a flash in the pan of Bowie trying to fit into the sound of the time. And, uh, yeah, I tip my hat to what he was trying to do. Uh, while also still being relevant. He wasn't like the old guy in leather pants um, trying to go to a Gravity Kills concert and be like, yeah, yeah, I'm right with you kids, right? Right? So where's the party after this? Where's the party? Where are you guys going? And, you know, we're all just trying to like, Jesus Christ, man. Uh, he, he didn't embarrass himself on that record. And uh, it's a good one. He's not Gary Newman. Yeah, no, I had it... I had a, you know, he's not Gary Newman. I had a, I had it sitting at 14 of mine and to echo Mark, um, 
before the podcast, it would have been like 22. I, I never gave it the, the, it's propers, if you will. It's full of great songs. It's got pretty good production. And yeah, for what it's trying to do at the time, it does not come across as uh, look at me. It says, Hey, I can do what you're doing kids. Maybe even better. Uh, good record. Just uh, too many skits and funny voices. <laughs> I was an artiste. Uh, my my number three will come back to I'm sure it's heroes. Anybody else got heroes above number three? No, I had it lower. I had number six. Yeah, it was my it was my it was my, it was my four. So we can go you know, dive in. Okay, we'll start with you then, Eric. What is the difference between pop and rock and roll? You might get fucked. Yeah, I think, you know, our last episode, we just got into it. So, um, but uh, Heroes definitely, um, it, it expanded on the low sound. Um, the instrumental tracks are there, but not, but, but a little bit more focused. Um, and what they're doing with production, uh, the whole like, uh, sometimes it's like funky with those innocence. Sometimes it's like wall of sound guitars. Um, and, uh, and, but his lyrical, he's starting to, to write. I will say like the lyrics are probably, probably a little bit better than low. I, he got into some space where he, where he started to have a lot more to say. And, um, and they just, obviously, it's an incredible album. And it's got, you know, one or two tracks on here that are so strong that it just weighs it all the way high. It's, it's, it's a great, it's a great one. I mean, yeah, we, like you said, we covered a lot of heroes on the last episode. And, um, I mean, the strength of a, a lot of the songs on there uh, are, are very powerful. Um, I really like how it ends, The Secret Life of Arabia. I mean, shit, man. That if that doesn't get the dance floor moving, I, you're you're dead below the fucking waist. Um, and the emotional resonance of the song "Heroes," which I imagine one or two of us will talk about in our top ten list. Um, <laughs> well, we'll 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 talk exactly. about it. <laughs> so, um, seeing how it was our last episode, I'll just say we were all fans of that, and uh, it deserved to be in the top ten. Oh, my hero. I mean, it's heroes, man. I mean, I always like to make that joke. Let's miss your show with Bob Odenkirk saying, you know, it's crack. It's great. It gets you high. Um, <laughs> what, what else? What else are you going to say besides heroes? I mean, it has arguably his best song. Um, the majority of the album is great. It's got weird avant-garde pop songs that are still this pretty catchy, as we just finale. talked about on the episode this we did. One of a um, <clears throat> conceptually, it's just as a whole from the artwork to the sound, the production on top of the type of songs they were writing, it all just works together so well. And I find the instrumental half to be very strong. Um, and I already did love it, but I have a newfound appreciation for the closing track, The Secret Life of Arabia, uh -huh. which I never thought was a bad song, but it, it, it recently was like, oh, this is a great song. 
Um, oh, yeah. I mean, if you're going to have a song like Heroes on the album alone, I mean, you can put... Yeah, if you if you stuck the track Heroes on Never Let Me Down, Never Let Me Down then cracks your top 10. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the power of, <laughs> you know, that's the power yes. of the song Heroes alone. Yeah. And uh, it all just, you know, Heroes is a, a, a watershed moment and then everything around it happens to be very good work. So it, it cracks your top five. And I, uh, yeah, I love it. I've, I'd, 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 my, when I first heard it in the late teens, early aughts, I liked it. And I've grown more fond of it as the years have gone by. And then if I needed to like it even more, when we did the podcast and I had to dissect it a little bit more, I said, Oh yeah, this album I already thought was amazing. It's amazing. Good to, good to, good to, good to verify my, my findings here. So it's heroes. It could easily be anybody's number one David Bowie album. Easily. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I, I there's one more record that we haven't yet all talked about and uh, okay. All right. So now to my number three, um, it is low. Eric, where are we at? Yeah, I gotta gonna have to gonna have to hold off on that okay, on that bad okay. boy. Yeah. Eric, number two. Uh, my number two, which I know we're gonna have to hold off on, is Scary Monsters. Uh, we're gonna have to hold off on that yes, one. We'll, we'll have to hold off. All right, Steve, number two. So my number two, my number two is Station to Station. Right on the nose. Me too. Oh, nice, nice. That was my number, uh, my number eight. So we're all in the top ten there. Oh, oh, good. So we can talk about Station to Station right now? You bet. Yes. This is part one of the two-part finale. This is part one of the two-part finale. Yeah, Station to Station, I've always loved. Um, Golden Years is one of my early... I probably heard the Marilyn Manson song. I probably heard David Bowie's version of Golden Years before I heard Manson's version. But I got tuned into David Bowie's version when Manson put his cover out that was on... God, what was that soundtrack, Mark? That was the... Uh, Dead Man on Campus. Ah, yes. That's funny about that is that both of us probably bought the soundtrack... But Eric's the one that probably saw that movie in theaters when it came out. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I bought the DVD of that. I watched it. I, watched, I probably watched that movie 10 times. I've never it's seen been, it. I've never seen it's it. Been since, it's been uh, since probably, it's probably been since 2001 since the last time I've watched that. But yes, yeah, I have. I've always, I've always, ever since I knew it existed and I purchased it when I was probably 19, I've always loved Station to Station, 1920. Um, I always thought the title track was a tour de force golden years. I always thought was cool, but that album was probably one of my first introductions to just weird rock music with TVC one five. I've always, I found that song to be as absurd when I was a teenager (laughs) as I do today. Um, It's just such a crazy goddamn song with the lyrics that are basically describing the end of Requiem for a dream. Yes. And it's got that barroom saloon piano, which we all love when David <laughs> Bowie incorporates that. And he incorporates that a lot in the 70s. He loves his 
uh, you know, hey, you just stepped in, and by the way, uh, you know, here's a finger of whiskey, and go play poker over there. Yep. And there's this piano, and Mr. Garson's just having a time. A little saloon piano, um, yeah. Yeah, I just, you know, that's that, that's crazy on that song. I always, I always thought the collection of songs were great, but then, I mean, on top of that, it's got one of his best album closers, um, with wild as the wind, which is a cover. And also, uh, one of his best originals, which is, a. Uh, Kind of a Nick Cave esque. Uh, what is that word? Word, uh, word on the wing. Word on the wing. Word on the wing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, I, like all of that's good. But really, when it comes down to it, what I said about Heroes title track, the title track of Station to Station, put that song in a time capsule and leave it for the aliens when we're all dead. Uh, the title track of Station to Station is one of his best songs. It's one of the best songs ever written. Uh, it's, it's. It's avant-garde, yet it's groovy. Um, it takes you on a journey. It's a big, long-ass song, but it definitely has peaks and valleys. And you can dance to it. It's just such a, a triumph. Station to Station is a tight collection of songs. He was kind of out of his mind at the time, but I, I find talking about how he was out of his mind is interesting. The transition period of Ziggy to the low period is interesting to talk about. If you were to link his discography to the man who sold the world movie you would stick uh, a pin in station to station and stick another pin in low and those are the two albums that i think really inform that pretty cool movie uh i, I, I just station to station is just a tour de force good album cover too everything about it man yeah and there's a reason that he uh he played that long ass song live uh, for decades later in various versions of his band no matter who was in it. And uh, even though I think it sounds best with the, uh, the Alomar Davies uh, configuration, other bands try to do it justice too. And it's just a, uh, just everything about it, man. Station to station. Love it. Yeah. I mean, uh, when we did this, this is one of the only episodes we all three got together and recorded. And it was, I was amazed at like, I gave it a five out of five. It was uh, for me, a perfect record. Um, the song Station to Station, it sounds like you're boarding a train at a train station and it just slowly starts to leave the station and then really picks up steam and speed. Like it is just great. It, I, everyone's clicking. Everything is just tight as a fucking drum. And then you get uh, the wooziness of golden years um, and uh, Word on a Wing and Wild is the Wind. Um, they're really good sides of the same coin great vocal performances by bowie uh, uh and i think stay is one of the baddest motherfucking songs um that he's ever written i didn't even bring up stay exactly that guitar like, lick there's... by earl slick is just unbelievable yeah station to station it has the avant-garde it has the soulful it has the groovy it basically is delight. Yeah, 
it it takes you pretty much on a journey. It's only six uh, tracks long, and uh, just high high output for for a, a man who was on a diet of cocaine, milk, and peppers. And you just I don't know how he did it, but he he pulled a magic trick. It is so good. I mean, there there is actually uh, one of the questions we might go over later is basically a uh, you know what's your one like you know David Bowie sound moment. And this isn't my answer, but the title track, the here are we, that's a defining David Bowie moment for me. Sure. Uh, that's just that, that, that delivery right there is fantastic. Yeah. The European canon is here. I, uh, I, this one made my list too. And I, I don't have anything else to really add. You guys nailed it. Uh, pretty much everything after Ziggy. It had great moments and 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 kind of unfocused moments, but and and this clearly, I mean, he doesn't even remember making this album yet. He hit something on this album that he would follow, and that was just leaning into his more weird weirder tendencies. And I think it's the best thing that ever happened, and it and it and it changed the future of his career. Um, and I and I think this album is a great example of that. So that's all I got to say about it. All right, Eric, tell us your number one album. Oh, low, low, low for me, baby. All right. I love low. All right. That was my number three, so I'll let you proceed. This is part one of a two part finale. This is part one of a two part finale. Please remember, this is just part one of the two-part finale. Uh, yeah, I, uh, this is that leaning into the to the weirdness a little bit, and I think him teaming up with Eno was a match made in heaven. Um, Eno would show him some things, would would definitely show him how to layer a song with 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 atmosphere um, that I think some of my would pretty much informs my favorite Bowie from here on out. Um, where you know he's he's dipping his toes in the electronic a little bit, um, because he's always been ahead of the curve. So if he but when he upped his kind of technological approach to, approach to music too, it uh, it 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 really just was was world breaking. Um, the songs uh, I this one I listened to all the way through from start to finish. Um, the first half I feel like it's hit after hit. Um, he didn't really know what he had to say at this point. So lyrically, it's kind of a mixed bag, but it's all fun. There was a sense of fun that was happening here. I mean, he and he and Iggy Pop just just uh, just hanging out in Berlin, having a blast. I, like you can hear every song just sounds like like a lot of fun. And then you get to side two and then he's like his super inspired by your craft work and Eno's like ambient stuff. And he just wants to get into that. And you just have these these swooping things that are almost like all a a tribute to Europe and things he was seeing. And he was trying to convey that without words or with gibberish words and enchanting, but but pretty much all through ambient music. And um, it is so fulfilling, even though your side two is all ambient. When you get to the end, it's 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 I just I, I personally for based on my my taste, I am highly satisfied at the end of this record season one when we did our wrap up was downward spiral your f- number one nine inch nails record 
or what's the it was it was okay so let me just uh I, I i like the the parallelism here because from music memory serves Trent Reznor was incredibly influenced by Lowe when he was making um downward spiral uh so i i like the the parallelism that we're seeing here um I mean, where 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 electronic meets rock is definitely my that that's my comfort zone. So this would be a perfect like uh, early seed to that that genre. So I mean, sonically, yeah. they don't necessarily sound like each other, with the maybe the exception of a warm place and maybe some of the ambient work that's on the back half of the record. Um, but for me, I, I'm right along with you. I don't know what it is about this record. All the the Eno Bowie Beast uh, back half, all of it just seems to work for me. Um, I, I do appreciate kind of the early um, the minimalism alongside with the electronic ambient, and it always has somewhat of a melody. Um, the sheer optimism of a new career in a new town uh always gets to me you know it it just feels like everything's gonna be okay you know um even though it's a a new career in a new town it generally can be a moment of anxiety for a lot of people here he was treating it as an almost an opportunity i i really do kind of appreciate that aspect is some of the stuff in here you definitely get a little bit of uh, foreboding, um, like Weeping Wall, for example, and uh, Subterraneans. Yeah, it's like the lyrics are can be very dark on this album, mm-hmm. but the music is a sense of fun and a spirit to it that, I don't know, maybe it just, I want to think this, but it conveys like everything's going to be okay yeah. <laughs> in the end. I don't know. <laughs> I think... The- no, no, I, I, can, I, I can see where you're going with that because uh, even though... It, it it was my number 11. It's a fantastic record. And those moments of joy amongst the weird anxiety are why I do like it. Um, like when we talked about it with Joe, uh, it, it, you know, yeah, for, for every weird, uh, desolate synth sound, you've got the harmonicas and new career in new town. Or even though it's not a very upbeat song lyrically i think be my wife is a great pop song love it um you know so yeah low is a low is a a study in the duality of a man mm-hmm. um and it's funny too like you they took like you could tell he took like say golden years off his last album and was like what if we do that but slap layers of noise and synths over it and then suddenly we're not doing seventies funk disco anymore. It's, it's this whole new thing. And, uh, I love it. I love that, that, that kind of mashup. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a worthy, it's a worthy number one, Eric. I, uh, and it, 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 it's, it's a worthy number one. Yeah. It didn't even crack my top 10, which tells you everything you need to know about David Bowie. Uh, the gulf between number 11 and number one has a ton of amazing albums in it. I mean, I could smell it a mile away that low would have been Eric's, you know, high water mark. Uh, Just from the musical sensibility, um, I just knew that that would be the one that is the hybrid for him that spoke to him the most. Um, I could just smell it a mile away. Whereas me and Steve, (laughs) 
about, but scary monsters as Bowie at the height of his powers, he had taken what he had learned uh, through the Berlin trilogy and all of the experimentation he had with young Americans, diamond dogs, his glam years. And he finally put it all together in one package. I think it's a masterpiece. Um, I'm always puzzled when people think that it's it's a difficult record to get into. Um, Everything about this, uh, for me, there's not a single filler on here. I mean, there may be some tracks that are not as good as the others, but they all hang together. Um, One of my top songs on here is Teenage Wildlife because of just his vocal uh, performance how much of a and we'll talk about it a little bit later as you can imagine um yeah. i mean a lot of the songs on here just the production is so fantastic by tony visconti robert fripp's oh, guitar yeah. playing is unbelievable uh dennis davis george murray carlos alomar i mean this is the band truly gelling and working as one this is the album that they were working towards um, it is, it, for me, it's an achievement. Uh, it's one of the best albums of all time, if you ask me. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, this is my number two. And even if it's not as, uh, you know, uh, as experimental as, as I maybe tend to go, I mean, when I was talking about Lodger, about them kind of mastering their art of doing the. So, right. Eric, did Scary Monsters even make your top 10? I wasn't paying attention. I just told you it was my number two. Yeah, I love this album. Uh, and I don't have much to add to it other than what Mark said. And I do have a song from it on my top 10 that I think encapsulates a lot of what I love about this album. But what I will say is you take you take what he learned from his glam years, you blend it with everything he learned in Berlin, and you've got and then you just fold in this new pop sensibility he's got, and you've got a a fun, sonically super interesting album. Uh, but it's still, uh, at sometimes challenging. And I really appreciate, uh, scary monsters for that reason. Um, and that title track, just forget about it. That song is, uh, invented at, like nineties alternative. It's great. Yeah. I mean, uh, for what it is challenging and, uh, but it's still is extremely pleasing to the ear. And, I, I've, 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 if I'm ever asked what my favorite all time rock album is, I'll usually say scary monsters. I just, uh, ever since I, I sat with it for a couple of years and I first got it and it just became my, my favorite David Bowie album. And I was just like, you know what? I think this is my favorite. It's my favorite album. I just, uh, this collection of songs really appeals to me and the high highs are so high. You, you can't believe it. And, uh, that was before the podcast, obviously. But then doing the podcast, when you realize, yes, this is him 
taking his best bits from all the albums that come before it. Yes, I agree and with forcing, that. Yep. Yeah, like the, he makes, you know, it's the best. Uh, the we've, we've, we've decided the Alamar configuration is the best version of the band. And he takes that, but he also takes a little bit of what he was doing with Diggy Pop. You know, he's got a... Robert Fripp has a lot to say on this record. It does have uh, some extreme melodic moments, some doo-wop-ish moments still are in there if you want to look for them. Um, it's just got a little bit of everything. Uh, and I just I just hit after hit. Uh, Up the Hill Backwards, fantastic track. It's No Game Parts 1 and 2 are great. It's No Game Part 2 in particular is a favorite of mine. Uh, Scary Monsters, title track that when I first heard it with Nine Inch Nails, I was like, wow. It sounds like a Nine Inch Nails song that David Bowie covered, but it's the other way around. And uh, you know, you can't you can't beat Ashes to Ashes. That's a, as we've discussed, the the be all and end all Bowie song. It's the the alpha and the omega and the everything in between. And uh, then I've I've gone on record quite a bit about how much I love Teenage Wildlife. Uh, I, I I think that song has that that song is an album unto itself, and it's romantic and it has amazing songcraft and wonderful harmonies and the lyrics really say something unique to David Bowie but at the same time if you're not paying attention sound very romantic um, everything about this album I like there's not a, a wasted song there's not a wasted minute it's uh, and it also does something we all like it, uh, it starts off with a sound effect and it ends with the same sound effect like it's a perfect loop with that tape loop sound uh, it does every trick I seem to like for a rock album, and uh, the the album cover is good. And if you it's it's if David Bowie would have stopped there, it would have been a full fulfilling career. I consider everything else after Scary Monsters to be bonus time, and the majority of it's worth listening to. So that's uh, that's incredible right there. To release your uh, with without a with, with almost without a doubt your best work a third of the way through your career that is saying something. And at the same time, he was technically you know just getting started. Uh, in the 70s, he put out what 11 records? Fuck, I can't even keep up. Uh, nine. He put out he put out, he put out a whole career's worth of work in the seventies, and then put a punctuation mark on it with scary monsters, and it's my top David Bowie album, and my favorite record, probably of them all, Scary Monsters. Absolutely, and you know, looking through when we went back, um, well, when we recorded that episode. Um, it was surprising to see some of our listeners um, were kind of sleeping on this one. I always thought this was the, like one of the obvious answers for those that were really deep in their Bowie studies, that this was the one where everything came together. It's like the midpoint of his career, his 14th album. And um, I mean, you have a little bit of where he had been and it's just, it's at his peak. It was at the, the top of the mountain and 
Um, everything that he had been experimenting with, this was finally what he came out of the laboratory with and said, Eureka, I've solved it. And it's just, it surprises me that uh, um, some of our listeners out there were like, you know what, I, I never really considered this one. I thought it was kind of strange and kind of slow and kind of boring. And I, I like the song Ashes to Ashes. And, but uh, after hearing us talk about how great of an album is, I think our excitement, I think we, we probably boosted that for a lot of our listeners. We're like three Jesuses for those listeners out there of ours. And we, uh, we're here for you. Absolutely. I, I think the part of that is because it's the um, it's the downside of having such a great career. When you think of some of the milestones, you have the Ziggy glam era. You've got the low era. And then right on the other side of the low era, you've got Let's Dance. And it's it's in between low and Let's Dance. So it doesn't it's not as flashy of a, a, a chapter, if you will. But if you sit with those songs which can be challenging at first. I mean, the opening track has a person just screaming in the background. Uh, that's David Bowie. Um, along uh, Japanese lyrics, which I, I love it. I love it. Um, it's and just the fact that they come back. And I think he knew that song was like, he's like, this is a pretty wild opening track. And I think that's why they were like, let's show them the other side of the coin with the closing track. I love that. I just love it. That closing track, man. Oh my God. I was driving a couple days ago for work and just that track, no matter what the situation is, the up the, or I'm sorry, the, uh, it's no game part two, no matter what mood I'm in, I can manipulate that song to fit my mood. And those are my favorite songs. Um, yeah, it's just a great song. Just a great album. And yeah, it is kind of challenging, but it's not like you're listening to John Zorn. You, you know, it's, it's got a lot of melody. It's got a lot of verse, chorus, verse. Um, Tony Visconti, definitely. His fingerprints are all over it. That guy was a goddamn genius. I think we learned throughout the life of this podcast that if things were getting a little too weird, he might be the one that says, let's remember that we're writing songs here. And I, I think you see some of that on Scary Monsters. Uh, just a, a wonderful record. Top notch. This is part one of a two-part finale. And we're going to end things there. Come back next week for part two of the finale, which will be the true finale, the pod like a whole, where we will discuss our top ten songs, and then discuss what is next for the podcast known as Pod Like a Whole. Join us next week for part two of Pod Like a Whole, a space podity, the finale. And rock and roll. You might get fucked. Jeez.